Thank you, Caleb. We uh, continue this morning in uh, this series on consolation and uh, sort of inspired by uh, the figure Simeon in the uh, early chapters of Luke's gospel there in chapter 2 where we read there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon and he was righteous and devout and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was anticipating when Christ would come, when this Messiah would come and fulfill all of the longings that Israel had had as they'd been waiting for someone to come and make things right. Someone to come and free them from the oppression that they were finding. Someone to come and bring light into a dark world. And so Simeon, waiting for this consolation, I think, characterizes what we do in the season of Advent. We wait for consolation. We wait for the coming of Christ. We wait for the ways that God will meet us where we are and bring us much-needed consolation. We never outgrow this need to be consoled. And so uh, we rejoice together and join together as we anticipate this reality in this season of Advent. Goodness. Okay, we're going to switch over to a different mic here. All right. We'll try again. Now, um, don't you just love the season, though? Don't you love the season of Advent and all the festivities? I was thinking is even as we were singing this last song, Good Christian Friends Rejoice, and you kind of wonder why they didn't go the NIV route when they translated the hymn and take out the word ass, because you just know, and I think the reason they did that is because they knew that we would be able in our later years to remember when we were kids and we would sing that in church and snicker. And it would just remind us of all of the things together. So I don't know. Maybe maybe that's just me. <laughs> maybe you don't still snicker. Uh, I kind of still do. But anyways, uh, great season to be together. It's a fun season to sing. It's a fun season to preach and to lead and do all the things that we do. Um, so, okay, Caleb read for us a summary of, this is Luke's summary of John the Baptist's ministry. And you heard it there together. So with many other exhortations, John preached good news to the people. He preached the gospel to people. This is a summary. This is Luke's summary of what John did with many other exhortations. Well, for there to be other exhortations, there have to be previous exhortations. And so we're going to read some of those. Now, this is a freebie today, and I know it's a struggle to to figure out what to put on your Christmas card. You ever have that challenge? It's like, okay, we got a picture of our family and we want to put a little thing. Maybe we want to put a Bible verse. We don't want to be too preachy because we don't want our non-Christian friends to think we're like preaching at them, you know. So we want to do heavy-handed on the Scripture. We don't want our Baptist friends to think that we don't read our Bibles. So we we want to put we we want to put a little something in there. So we kind of you know it's a challenge. Like how much is too much? How much is not enough? All of that, and uh, you get it in there just the right thing. So for next year, you can just take out your pen and this is just put John the Baptist good news. On your Christmas card, okay? And this is how it starts. This is what it sounds. So Merry Christmas from the so-and-so family. And then you can quote this. This is how John starts in Luke chapter 3, verse 7. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who, who warned you to flee of the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, hey, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. And every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Merry Christmas, everybody. 
I read, I read Luke's summary, and then I read this, and I thought, how in the world is this good news? I don't get it. Why is this gospel? Luke uses the word, preach the gospel, he uses the word gospel or good news ten times. Three of those times, exactly 30% of the times he talks about good news, he's referring to John the Baptist. So I'm going, well, what in the world does John the Baptist have to do with good news? Can't you hear what he's saying? You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee of the wrath to come. Flee from the wrath to come. Also, if we're good Methodists, we remember uh, that the old class meeting. So this was kind of this was kind of like your Sunday school class back in the day. You you know you could come you come to the class meeting. And this is what everybody wanted because this was the heartbeat of Methodism. You know you were going to church wherever you went to church, and usually you were going still to an Anglican church. Uh, you were doing that every week. But this was this was getting in on. On the new thing, this was this conversion and the Holy Spirit. We were seeing what was going on, and people were flocking to be part of these class meetings. Well, it was so popular, and people wanted it so bad, they had to issue tickets. So you had to have a ticket to get into the class meeting. And uh, so you had to be at worship and things like that to get a ticket. Well, one of the first questions they ask you every week is, do you desire to flee from the wrath to come? <laughs> it's Again, it's like, welcome to class. Do you desire to flee from the wrath to come? So just try that with your Sunday school class this time. Like, welcome everybody. Today is December 16th. Do you desire to flee from the wrath to come? Maybe real good Methodist spirit to start the, the thing off. But it's just a great thing to visualize. John the Baptist is so good at just kind of stripping away our, our misconceptions and all the things that we carry and just saying, hey, do you guys want to be free of the stuff that is to come? Do you want to? work away from the darkness, and he asked these great questions. Okay, so maybe not Christmas card, but we'll at least look into why is this good news? Why is it good news for John to say these things, to talk about these things, the wrath to come, the axe is laid at the root of the tree. You know, I think about, you know, you go out somewhere and you're walking in the woods and you see a chainsaw beside a tree. Well, you know what's about to happen. You know that chainsaw is not just there accidentally. Somebody's about to come and cut the tree down. It's, it communicates urgency. But in John's case, it also communicates hope. It says there's still time, right? The axe is laid by the root of the tree, but there's a call. Bear fruit. Bear fruit. Bear fruit that is worthy of repentance. And then every tree that does not bear fruit will be cut down and thrown into a fire. Urgent matters. There's still time. So where's the good news? Where's the consolation? I think in part we find in John consolation through truth. There's truth in John's words. He gets to the heart of the matter. It takes away our false sense of security. It says if you want security and you want to know about nearness to God, this is what life begins to look like. John the Baptist is perfect at getting us ready for God. You know, you just picture him in his, in his simple clothing and his simple food, and he's out with his disciples, and he's out there baptizing in the wilderness where nothing grows and it doesn't rain that much, and it just it's stripping everything bare, getting to the heart of the matter. You know, he didn't look like this. He didn't look like as a, one of our lovely children this morning asked me, why are you wearing a dress today? It didn't look like that. You know, he was, it was just this simple clothes, like a wilderness man. John is a great Advent character because he helps us move 
from darkness to light. He helps us move from imagining. What we do when we face the darkness in the season of Advent is we ask ourselves, even if we don't ask it out loud, we subconsciously ask, what if there is no God? What if there is no God and the end of all things is utter darkness? What if it all just dissolves into nothingness? What if that's all we have to look forward to? It braces us for the possibility and the reality that there may be light. Even in the darkest places, there may be a flicker of light. It moves us from what if there is no God to a God who has come near, who has moved into the neighborhood, who is as close as our bread. So in response to John's scathing good news, the crowds respond the way that we respond when we're wanting to see where we may get in on this. So what do they say in verse 10 of Luke chapter 3? They ask, what then shall we do? Okay, if all this is happening, the axe is there by the tree, we should be bearing fruits worthy of repentance. What do we do now? And this is our question. Okay, John, what should we do? And it's not just our question, but Luke frames this question. This is asked a few more times in Luke's gospel. It's asked by tax collectors, by soldiers, by a lawyer, by a ruler, by a Jerusalem audience, by a jailer, and by a zealous Jew. It's a common question to the gospel. What should we do? We hear you saying that this is this must happen and this is the way things shake out. What should we do? John answered them, Whoever has two coats is to share with him who has no coat. And whoever has basic food is to do likewise. And tax collectors also came to be baptized and said, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. And soldiers asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he answered them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. Who is poised, most poised, to hear the gospel? This good news as it's brought to us by John. And we're initially looking and we say, Well, gosh, it has to be the ones without a coat. They would be poised to hear good news. This is for them. And then we realize, oh, it's also for the one that has two coats and the experience of giving a coat away. And, and it must be for the one who's extorted, who's extorted in all the ways that that can be done. And but it's also for the extorter to change their behavior, right? The tax collector who were sort of an entrepreneur who were, were assigned to go and collect the remainder of what was owed by people. And they'd go in and any means available to them and collect those taxes. to soldiers. Don't extort anyone by threats, false accusation, all these things. So who is poised to hear the gospel? All these people. All of us. In fact, Luke tells us that the gospel, this good news was preached to all people. And that's sort of what set it apart from the good news of the day, which would be good news for the Romans. Good news for those who were on the upside of the military victory. For those pockets of people who were doing all right. This gospel, this good news, was out to all people. Everybody who had ears to hear could hear this gospel. These signs of the kingdom of God, right? That the kingdom of God is near. That nobody's without a coat. 
Nobody's without basic food. Nobody's being threatened, falsely accused. Now this behavior that John is calling these people to, and he's calling us to, this is not new. John is not just creating a new thing. He's calling attention to the prophets and to Moses and saying, you guys know this stuff. You all know about this. You know about the law. You know about loving your neighbor. You know about loving God, and you know what that looks like. And John's just crying out in the wilderness saying, get back to what you know. And if you didn't know, this is for you. This is for you. You may not be Jewish. You may not have been in the synagogue all your life. This is for you. You're a Gentile. No big deal. This news is for you. It's a reminder, all of these things that John is calling us to, they are manifestations of a relationship with God. Right? This is the fruit. It's not that we do these things and thereby gain access to God, but it's when we have access to God and we have a close connection with God, we have a relationship with God, these are the things that we do. This is the fruit that is borne by our trees, by the vine that we cling to. It's the natural outflow of a relationship with God. So a tree that's not bearing fruit is not responding to the gospel. A believer who is not bearing fruit in their lives is not living by the gospel. It's fascinating to me that John does not tell the tax collectors nor the soldiers to go and get a different job. It's not the job that gets you in trouble. It's not the family that gets you in trouble. He says, if you're a soldier, go back to being a soldier and stop doing these things, but go back to your life. You're a tax collector, go back to collecting taxes. Just do it in a just manner. Imagine that God is just and he wants you to be just. So go back to your work. He wasn't disqualifying anybody by what they did or where they were from. He said, just whatever you do, come and repent. Receive the good news and go back and live it. Go back and live it with your family and your friends and the job that you've been called to. I think these signs that God is near are such gifts to us. Uh, I, I miss them so often. And they're such gifts when you see that God is at work and changing the behavior of people all around us and bringing gifts to people all around us. I just got a Christmas card this last week. I was reading over the weekend from a former parishioner uh, who could be characterized as a guy who's ex-military, and his his kids would tell me just what a what a hard guy he was, and just how hard it was growing up with him. Uh, he was just he was just mean and angry all the time, and just this guy. And, and he encountered the good news, kind of this abrupt thing, like he would hear from John, and he changed his behavior. And things begin to change. He became this guy that when he'd see you in the narthex before church, he'd give you a big old hug. And you'd try to shake his hand, he'd be like, come here, let me give you a hug. Suit and tie every Sunday. And he was just this warm guy. And he'd just, he'd sit there and listen to a sermon or come take communion and tears would just well up in his eyes. You just knew that he had encountered something real. And his Christmas card said, well, you know, I've been doing this, serving in this way and doing this thing. I had to have one knee replaced, so I'm not able to do this thing for a while, but I think I'll be back in the swing of things by January. And telling us, and then he says at the bottom, I don't know what we did when we were where we find, found time to work. You know, when we had jobs, I don't know where we found because now we're so busy. And I look at some of you nodding your heads because you're in the same boat. You're going, where did we have time to work and raise our family? Because we're busy all the time serving, doing things that God has called you to. 
had a conversation with one of our food pantry clients this week who is just a reminder that you never know why people are in the place that they are, why they experience the need that they experience. This is a person with a college degree just broken by life and in need of some help. And I'm so thankful, maybe especially this time of year, for the witness that all of you are to me of these kinds of John the Baptist good news things. As I see you in the pantry, I see you in the clothes closet, I see you serving and praying, and I see you go caroling in the nursing home, and I see you just teaching and loving people and doing this in your own families and all the ways that you do it. And it's a reminder that the kingdom of God is near. And the light shines in the darkness and that the darkness will not overwhelm it, says John's gospel in the first chapter. So with many other exhortations, John preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved or censured by John for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked John up in prison. One of the things that the good news does is it unites us. The good news unites us either for or against the gospel. The good news that John preached, the good news that Jesus preached, and the good news that we preach brings people together. And if it's a positive response to the gospel, it brings us together. And we say, isn't it great that we laid down our old life and we took up a new life and we have found freedom that we never imagined. We have found fulfillment that we never imagined. It's hard and it's difficult and we face suffering every day. But isn't it beautiful? And then you have others who unite against the gospel. It's fascinating that Herod and Pilate became good buddies with, through their negative response to the gospel. Right there at the end of Luke, Jesus is on the cross. There he is in his trial. And Herod and Pilate are united. Having heard about each other but never met, they come together over their mutual opposition to the good news. The gospel unites us for or against. So this morning, what is our response to the truth of the gospel? Will we once again continue to stake our lives on a truth that sets us free? What will the reality of God's nearness change in us? I know there's no limit to the amount of nagging that someone could do to me. The most amount of nagging possible would never change my behavior. It would never change our behavior. It's just a great reminder of our need for grace. I'm so thankful to Fleming Rutledge for the insight in this Advent season of, you know, John, his first part of his address that Amberly talked about last week, he says, prepare ye the way of the Lord. He's quoting Isaiah. And, and we began thinking, okay, this is something we can do. Let's prepare the way of the Lord. Let's get it together. And he follows that with every mountain will be laid low and every valley 
will be raised up. Right? That things will be made straight. It reminds us that God is the one who will do this thing. God is the one who will make it all right. It's not up to me and it's not up to you to get it all together and prepare the way on our own. But by God's grace, we will find ourselves as a part of the raising of valleys and the flattening of mountains, of the giving of coats and the sharing of the comfort and the consolation of Jesus Christ. This is our hope. This is our work. And this is the promise that is laid before us in this season of Advent. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen.